turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Now I'm going to look at the areas I need to work on. So it even goes deeper than that. Well, with that, I have to answer this question. Why should he be the one that gets all the glory? Why should it be not about me and about him? This passage will give you five of them, and you could own these five. Once you know this, you're going to get a doctrine of Christology here that will help you as you face the challenges when people begin to question, why are you a Christian? Why would you give God all the glory? I mean, isn't he some kind of an ego thing going on a big trip? And that's not the case. So let's look at it very quickly, all right? First of all, Jesus Christ is above all. Beginning in verse 31, and here's what you read. He is above all. It says, he who comes from above, referring to Christ, is above all. He who is of the earth, referring to John, is from the earth, and he speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. Well, I decided to do a little homework on that phrase, he is above all, and I'm just of the earth, just in the book of John alone. Just John, the writer of this, not John the Baptist, just John, the writer of this, decided to record how many times... Jesus was emphasizing the fact that he is above all and that everything has come from God to us. I found that the phrase from heaven, above all, is found ten times in the Gospel of John. And the idea that what we have has come from the Father to Son to us, that's found 38 times. And so I want you to know that John, who wrote this, not John the Baptist is emphasizing that everything we have is coming from God who is above all and it comes from Him. So maybe you could ask yourself this question. Do I realize that even what I have today has come from the Lord? Now I'm going to be a little more pointed. Some of you might look at your education. Your education got you a job. Your job got you a promotion. Your promotion got you some money. The money got you the car, got you a house. Maybe while you're out there, you were attracting to some individual. So now you particularly got married. Now you're looking at your kids and what they have and what you're able to provide for them. It's very easy to get caught up in the responsibilities of life, thanking the Lord for all of that. But at the same time, everything you have, God gave to you. How did God give it to you? How did it come down from above? It came in the sense that he gave you the intelligence He gave you the ability to make the right choices for the school. He gave you the strength and the energy to work the job that you have right now. He's given you the ability to manage your money or use your money in a way that would provide for your family, maybe even some extra things as well. He's done all these things. So whatever you have, God has given that to you. I want you to know I had that conversation with my dad early on. He grew up in the Depression. When I talked about how that God has done so many wonderful things for me, his response was, no, God, God didn't do that. I took care of my family. I waited on the bread lines. I drove a bus. I did the things necessary that I could do to provide for my family. When I went back and I said, Dad, you sure did, and I'm so glad you did. Because of that, you and, you and your wife or my mom stayed together, and through that, I was born, and here am I today. But, Dad, who gave you the ability to drive that bus? Well, I guess God. 
out of all the people looking for work, who gave you that opportunity to get that job? God did. And when he began to, be, when he began to think that there's a sovereign God who is supreme, sufficient, and superior in his life, he began to humble himself to realize it isn't all about me. Now, that doesn't mean he trusted Christ. But again, he began to think in terms of there's someone, something bigger than I am. So he is above all. And he's come from above to this earth to pay our sin debt. Let's quickly go to number two. Jesus Christ is the source of truth. Jesus Christ is the source of truth. In verse 32 it says, What he has seen, referring to Christ, and heard, of that he testifies, and no one receives that testimony. We'll talk about that last part. What I thought was interesting here, when it talks about Jesus is the source of truth, what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, who do you think Jesus heard that truth from? Not from another man, he heard it from God the Father, because he came down from heaven above, down to the earth. So he got his truth from God. Now if you want in your margin, you might want to write down the Trinity here, because here's what I found, is that, Jesus is the truth, John 14, 6. So that means the truth has its source in Christ. I found that God himself has truth. And you can find that in this passage alone if you'd like. Or you can go to John 8, 26. It says, he who sent me, Jesus saying, who sent me, who would be sending him? God the Father is true. So he's truth. So Jesus is truth. God is truth. And then the Holy Spirit is truth. And I found that in at least four different passages of Scripture. So now you've got God is truth, Jesus is truth, Holy Spirit is truth, and then John 17 says, and the Word is truth. So all the truth that I need to know is found in the person of Christ, and so He is the source of all truth. Now, if I believe that based on one Scripture compared to another Scripture, then this means that God's mind in my Bible is now found on paper. And so since God is truth, the place I want to discover that truth is right here in His Word. So why is it not about me and all about Him? Because I'm still wrapped in flesh. I still have sin in my life. Therefore, there's going to be some infractions in my life where I will never be able to see all of the truth as it is here in Scripture. So this is becoming my stable, a stabilizer. This becomes the cornerstone. This is the truth in my life. So I guess the question for you and me is how much of God's Word do you know? Because everything that He speaks is coming from the Word. And He knew that. I will tell you when it says the last part of that verse and no one receives it, that's more of a general statement because some have received it. But in their hearts, though, they generally will not receive the word because they cannot understand it. It's like a blind man looking for a black cat in a dark room that for that person is not there. So until they come to know Christ as their Savior, it's hard for them to receive the word. Now, how does that translate to your practical work? Those of you that are going to be confronting in a, in a gentle, gracious way the unsaved community around you, you will have them push back. There'll be certain aspects about Christ and God and the truth and how the, the veracity of Scripture, they will never understand. So all we can do is to rely upon the fact that the truth is Jesus is God. He is the source of all truth. And if I would just lovingly present the truth, here it is, here it is, I present the truth, allow the truth and the Holy Spirit to work with that person. So technically, I'd overlead that person to Christ. I just give him the message, and God and the Holy Spirit, that whole thing is a God thing that's happening where that person comes to faith alone in Jesus Christ. My job is just to take the truth and present it as clearly and as correctly and as compassionately, as courageously and as consistently as I can to this person right here. So if you right now have someone in your life that is still struggling but is willing to dialogue with you, and he's not making jokes and, you know, he's, he's still open, but he's still not ready yet. Let me just encourage you. Begin 
and continue sharing the truth. It's all about him. He's the greatest soul winner. He's the one that will do the work. You just lovingly present it and watch what God will do in that person's life. It took my dad over a decade to come to faith. And I don't mean to talk about my own family. I just want you to know that really happened and as a testimony that God will work. All right, so Jesus is the source of truth. Number three, Jesus Christ always agrees with God. Jesus Christ always agrees with God. Now, this is going to be pretty important because Jesus here is the one who received his testimony from the Lord and has set his seal to this that God is true. All right, so if you will believe in Christ, then what you're really doing is saying, I believe in God. Now, I know that your minds might be a little foggy here, so please kind of shake it loose for a second. Here we go. I'm finding today, and this may be me, and I hope this is not a hobby horse. I, don't, I hope I'm not coming across with a lot of angst, but I would like to come across with a little bit of clarification. It seems like some people today, including Christians, would really have no problem talking about, we really need to know God better. You know, isn't God good? And we refer to God often more than we refer to Jesus Christ or the Lord. Are you sensing some of that too, or is that just me? They seem to want to refer to God more than they want to refer to Christ. Now, I don't want to split the two up, and we're not trying to put a big competition here. But when you go through Scripture, what you're really finding that if you truly are... Listen, if you truly believe in God, if you really want God to be honored and all the rest, then what you've got to do is to do what He says, which is to what? Receive His Son. Because the two are equal together. And so when you say, I really want God, if you really want God, you're going to want His Son. Jesus Christ. And watch this. If you really want the Son, then you have to agree that He is God. I'm going to split it one more, one more time. There are people today, when you start sharing the gospel, and I did it too, especially in my younger years. You know, I knew they didn't know Christ. They, didn't know, they were just outside the faith. I begin to share the message of salvation, and then they would say something like, Oh, yes, I believe in God. I'm trusting God. I would immediately then say, Oh, great. And I'd almost chalk it up like, Hey, that's another believer too. He believes in God. It's not enough to believe in God. We have to go to God through Jesus Christ, the Son. And so when I believe in Christ, that's how I'm going to get to God. And so when you hear people saying, yes, I believe in God, compliment them on that. Now then say, where does Jesus Christ fit into this in your faith experience, your faith journey with Him? Because Christ and God always agree together. Would you hold your place here for a moment and go to 1 John? And by the way, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, wrote 1 John 2. You can see this was embedded into his doctrine. So you're going to look at 1 John chapter 5. Whatever You can look at a Bible under your pew or just listen to me. It probably won't be on the screen. I want you to listen to this. We're making the case that you must believe in Christ if you also are going to believe in God. You cannot separate the two. All right, if you will, follow along in verse 9. And here's what you read. This is a great salvation passage, especially when you're explaining to them that having salvation is found in Christ. Look in verse 9. It says this. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. Now, you're hearing that testify testimony in what we're studying in the Gospel of John. So if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. Now, let me see if we receive the testimony of man. How many of you, whether you're mostly ladies do the shopping, I'm not trying to marginalize you ladies, sometimes we guys go out too, but have you ever been sent to the, to the store? Carol has done this uh, for me and I'd like to help her out. And she'll say, for example, would you pick up a can of peas? I don't remember the object, I do remember this occurred because we had a great laugh when I brought it home. I went and I bought the can of peas that she wanted to, a bunch of other stuff. I'm bringing it home. We're getting ready to cook the meal. She opens the can. Inside of the can was not peas, but was another vegetable. They mislabeled the can. 
Has anybody had that happen to you with a can or a box or anything like that? Would you raise your hand where you had the witness of man that that happened to you? Good. I thank you that a couple of you raised your hands. Most of you probably don't shop. But anyway, my point, my point still is this. We will accept the witness of man sometimes even above the witness of God. That's the point he's making in verse 9. Verse 10. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made God a liar. Ooh. So in other words, if I'm not accepting this testimony of Christ being the Son, hmm, I might have, have an issue here. Then he says, because he's not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. So we have to believe about the Son if we're going to believe about God. Verse 11. And the testimony is this. Here's the testimony he's talking about. That God has given us eternal life. Okay, and where is this life found? In his Son, verse 11 says. Verse 12 says, He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. And he ends with saying, These things have I written unto you. Again, the testimony. You who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So the testimony of God is even greater than the testimony of man. And they agree together. And how important that is for us to do it. All right, let's look at the fourth one. The fourth out of five. Why it's about him and not about us. Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit without limit. Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit without limit. Look at verse 34. It says this. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. If you'd like, you can circle three words because you're about to see the Trinity here. We saw the Trinity when we saw God is truth, Holy Spirit is truth, and Jesus is truth. Now you're going to see the Trinity here. For he whom God has sent, so that would be Christ, God the Father has sent, speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit of God, capital S, Spirit of God, without measure. So in this passage alone, you again see the Spirit here. So again, you know that together that they're all the same, without limit. Now I have limits because I'm still a sinner, but Jesus Christ had no limits within him. They were equal to each other. And let's go to number five. Number five is Jesus Christ has all authority from God the Father. This kind of, with the others implied, this says it more specifically and that Jesus Christ has all authority from God. Look, if you will, at verse 35. It says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. I really love that when I see that all authority that God has, He's chosen to give to His Son. And so that's why He has the right to be worshipped. So when you worship today, I pray that you look at God and at the same time that we'll be pausing and saying, You know what? It really is about the Son because God testified of the Son. Well, I don't want to split them. At the same time, it's important for them both to be together. The verse or the passage actually ends with verse 36. And this is a very powerful passage because now he takes it from it's not enough just to believe that he is supreme and sufficient and he's superior. But you also have to heed the warning because he is all of those things and it is all about him. Now, what are we going to do with that? Obviously, we want to worship him, but to worship him in spirit and in truth, we need to be a part of his forever family because that's what he wants. And here's what he says in verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. With your Bible, you might want to underline the word has. Some people think, I will get eternal life when I die. Actually, the moment I believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord who died for me, I place my faith in him. That very moment, I have eternal life right then. So if you haven't done that, I pray that you will. I also want you to notice in that passage, you will have eternal life, but how do you have it? It says by believing. It doesn't say by behaving. It doesn't say by believing and behaving. It just says by believing. Again in the passage, it says this. 
He who does not obey the Son will not see life. Now you're saying, oh, I thought, I'm, I, thought I was just by believing. What does it have to word obey there? If you go back to the original language, the word obey there is also of the same root of the word believe. So if you want to make the case, I have to obey the Son, here's what you would obey the Son. It's not keeping the commandments and all the other great Christian life experiences that the Lord wants us to live in order to be saved. If we were to do that, that would violate all the other scriptures. It talks about it being by faith alone. So then what part of obeying do we have to do in order for us to have eternal life if we don't obey those, the commands of the Lord in order to go to heaven? Simply this. When Jesus says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, then he's given you a command to go to heaven. That command requires only one response, and that is to believe in Christ. So the command is only one command. Believe in Jesus Christ. And if you do that, that part of obedience to Him, you'll have everlasting life. It's not carry with you all the other stuff. It's simply by, I come to Him. It's not about me. I cannot get to heaven by myself. He's the one by His grace that will save me. So I'm going to place my faith alone in Him. The last part of verse 36 is very powerful. It says that if you do not do this, you do not, you will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Would you underline the letter S in the word abides? Some people think that the wrath of God is going to come when I die. It is true, there's going to be horrible forever consequences when we die if we do not trust Christ as Savior. But according to this passage in John 3.18, it talks about that we are already in a state of condemnation. So for some people that you begin to share the message with, and they say, oh no, I got it all figured out already. I know that if I um, die, I stand before the Lord, and he's like one big judge at a judge's bench. And up at the judge's bench, he's got one of those little balances up there, those scales up there. And he's going to take all my good works, and he's going to put it all on one side of this scale. And he's going to take all my bad works and put it on the other side of this scale. And so as long as I do in this life more good works than I do bad works, I can go to heaven. Now that sounds so logical, doesn't it? Sounds so realistic. The problem is that it doesn't happen that way. He already says we're condemned to hell. He already says that the wrath of God abides on us in that pre-state before we go to and spend eternity in a real place called hell. So we're already condemned. So no amount of good works is going to now take over the bad works because he says in this passage and many others that it's by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. So as I come back to this passage here, I just would like to end by remembering those five truths that it is all about him. It's come from him. He's the source of all truth. He is equal with the Father. He has the Holy Spirit without limit. So now you see the Trinity in action and the fact that all authority has been given to Him. So here's our response. For those of you who haven't trusted Christ as Savior, I pray that you do. That's the greatest thing you can do because all that that He has done of who He is is so that you could have eternal life in heaven with Him forever. I pray you trust Him. Those of you who haven't, or who have trusted Christ as Savior, I put down three applications that maybe might work for you that has worked for me and something that I'm working on in my life. You might want to just jot these down. Here it is. Christians are to model a life of being least because Christ is the one who is great. I know it intellectually. I know it theologically. I embrace it in my heart often. But there are times that my ego pops up. I have pride. And you know when I can see that I have pride in my life? is when I have conflicts with others. The Bible says only by pride comes contention. So maybe if I'm not fully living out this passage here, this thought, it could be because I haven't realized that I'm really nothing. Whatever God is, He's in control. I am going to live my life His way, and I'm going to leave the results up to Him, 
And I may never be compensated for that which I do right as a believer in this life, but I will in the next life because it really is all about him. So it's more than he is greater than I am. It is he is the greatest in my life and I'm least. Number two, Christian parents are not to train their kids to be great. They're trained their kids to glorify the one who is great. See, I can't always determine how great or successful my kids are, but if I can at least train them into bringing glory to the Lord with a pure heart properly in this world, no matter what the world will throw at them, God will be smiling because He is being glorified through all of that at that particular point. So Christians, especially you parents, you might want to look at your kids and say, am I training my kids to glorify the one who is great? Now, it doesn't mean you don't train them about having a standard of excellence and having hard work when they do something and diligence and faithfulness and all those wonderful things that often will breed success and promotions on their job and better sales and maybe even other uh, things that happen in their life. But remind them, though, that the greatest thing is to glorify the one who is great, not our own greatness. And the last one is this. Christians are to make the greatness of God and Christ known to a world that thinks it's all about them. So when you go out in this world, I want you to stand strong no matter what challenge you have and you be maybe that lone voice in the wilderness like John the Baptist was. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Whatever I have, God's given to me. I must decrease because He must increase and my greatest joy is to know that the Lord is smiling on other people that I perhaps have been able to bring to Him. And I pray that maybe that would be as we leave here today to know it's not about us, but it is about Him. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. I know this message sometimes doesn't come with a lot of how to get out of debt and how to have fun in your life and you know all these things that are important and sometimes you do need to teach on them. But I want you to know that, don't, that, that this truth that you got is a deep truth. It's going to take time for you to plummet its depths. But I want you to spend the time investigating this passage of Scripture. Own it. Realize that you're going to grow in the knowledge and the grace of Jesus Christ. Stay with it. It's found in these truths that are going to give you the greatest strength as you face this life and all the challenges that will come your way and my way. And that no matter what goes on in your life, you can still have that sense of peace and stability and joy. When you do know, it is all about Him. And it's not because He's the egomaniacal God. It is simply that He's a God who loves us, has the right to demand our worship, not coming from a motive of pride, but coming from a motive of grace and love for us. And so just take a moment right now in your own way. Would you worship the Lord? Would you tell Him how much you love Him? Would you ask Him to reveal to you if you have a heart that's ready to say, yes, Lord, as a Christian now, I need to decrease and you need to increase. And if you really believe that, is there an attitude that needs to be adjusted? Is there an action that needs to be changed? Is it really all about Him? And it's because you love Him. And that it's the fullness of joy when you can hear the bridegroom's voice say, well done. Is there anyone in here that is yet to place their faith in Jesus Christ? All that we said and showed from Scripture about who Christ is ended with that verse that says, if you believe in Him, you will have everlasting life. But if you don't, the wrath of God does abide on you. And you're ready now to place your faith in Christ.
If you're doing that, why don't you put that in that little card that was given to you and just put your name and say, you know, today's the day that I'm stepping over the line and I'm placing my faith in Christ. I believe He is the Lord and He is worthy to be praised and that humbly I thank Him for forgiving me of all my sin. And just let me know that. I'd like to pray for you in the privacy of my office. I'll see your name on that card. We're not going to bother you and embarrass you, but I'd like to know that. Some of you that are out there that have questions over what was said here today, if you want to, call me up, send me an email, visit with me. If you're a lady, my wife would be glad to talk to you. We just want to help you on your journey as we all learn to decrease because he must increase. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we know that there's a world out there who hardly even knows of Jesus Christ and those that do when they start hearing about you and what Christians are to do, they get it all mixed up and thinking these are the things they need to do as an unsaved person and they can't understand this. They don't receive the testimony of your word. So help us, Father, to be loving and patient and prayerful, but yet engaging them on truth, knowing that your truth is powerful and that it comes from the triumphant Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray you will reveal to us personally, ourselves, areas that need to decrease so you can increase. And then help us, Father, to live that life out of humility, but also power and courage to engage this culture with Jesus Christ, who truly is altogether lovely. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.